0: Well, welcome to the Truckers Podcast. I am your host, Beth, from Northern Ontario, Canada. Current events, local, world news, and trending. Where does Canada stand on the vaccine immunization campaign and also the emotional toll weighed on healthcare staff during Ontario's? wait, this is Sunday at 4.30 in the afternoon, the 18th of April. Thank you for joining me. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully, so far, everybody out there has um, really, you know, tried to enjoy um, your weekend. Um, for some of you, um, going back to work starting tomorrow. Schools here across Ontario are officially closed indefinitely. Whatever indefinitely means. I guess we'll have to wait to find out what that meaning is coming from the government of Ontario. Now as the campaign of the vaccines um, keep rolling out or at least trying to keep rolling out um, we've had um, false starts and supply and supply glitches and um, We are uh, making some progress. Now, with the national vaccination campaign to immunize adults against the COVID-19 is now well underway after a series of false starts in severe supply uh, disruptions. And, you know, by saying that because, you know, all of us here across Canada, maybe some of you around the world don't know this or realize this, um, Pfizer had to upgrade a facility in Europe in order to meet the demands more wide. Now so you know nearly four months into the day after the first Pfizer shots were given to a small group of healthcare care workers in, in Toronto, the provinces and territories of how now have administered roughly nine million doses of the three authorized products developed by AstraZeneca, Moderna, Moderna, and Pfizer. Now, Canada has lagged compared to virtually every other country in the Western world, and in the early stages of this effort, the pace of um, vaccinations here has quickened in recent weeks. Pfizer is getting the vaccines here and more is coming. And hopefully, like I say, hopefully, you know, we have ordered so many doses. I hope they can keep their promise. But look, you know, I get it. The world needs vaccines. In particular, this vaccine to help us flatten the curve of COVID-19. Now here's a look at the state of play and some answers to questions Canadians are asking. How does Canada compare to other countries? Excluding small islands, nations in European overseas territories like the Cayman Islands Canada now ranks among the top 10 countries worldwide in the number of new doses per 100 people being administered on a daily basis. Now, while Canada's slow rollout has attracted negative media attention, it now ranks 12th globally in the terms of numbers of people who have received at least one shot. But the number may not be misleading because health officials here, unlike any other country in the world, we have pushed back and ministering second doses by, by some for four months in order to get more people vaccinated with at least one dose. We're the only country in the world that's doing this. Nearly 24% of the US population is fully vaccinated. In Canada, that figure is less than 2%. Some studies including in the respective media journal that the, the Lancet suggests there's a great deal of antibody protection after a single dose. I'm talking about more so about the Pfizer vaccine. They say, while well, the vaccine campaign has stabilized, I, you know, here in Canada, here in Ontario, I don't really know. Um, I can't really believe that that it's, you know, has stabilized. Um, you know, the demand is still vastly outstripping supply with millions of Canadians eager to get a shot to bring this year long crisis to an end. 2% of Canada's population is, po- is, is has been vaccinated. I don't know how they can say that it has that the campaign has stabilized, but we'll wait to see. The United Kingdom and Israel, which have been particularly efficient on procuring and administering doses, have seen COVID 19 caseloads plummet in recent weeks. Israel has vaccinated six percent of its pop sixty percent of its population, at least with one shot, while fifty percent of the Britons have received a dose. Now, our Prime Minister of Canada suggested this week that the United King King the United Kingdom is facing a very serious third wave. And in fact, the United Kingdom is likely to avoid a third wave altogether because so many vaccines haven't been deployed there so quickly. Well, it doesn't have to go very far when it's being manufactured in the United Kingdom. Now we have to talk about, you know, the, the next question here is like, how many shots will be delivered to Canada over the next two months? Short answer, they say millions. Pfizer, they say, is on track to deliver just over 1 million doses each week until the end of May. After that, the number of shots delivered is set up, ramped up to 2 million a week throughout the month of June and beyond. Now, keeping in mind that there isn't any more hiccups, interruptions, you know, if we could get that going like that, that would be terrific. Roughly 17.8 million doses of Pfizer vaccines are to be delivered in in the April through June period. And by the end of June, at least 4.4 million doses of the extra vaccine produced by the company itself, the COVAX vaccines sharing facilities at the Serum Institute in Indian are expected to be on hand. The Massachusetts-based Moderna, which like Pfizer has, a, has developed a highly effective mRNA vaccine. said it will ship 12.3 million doses of its products by Canada Day. All told, Canada is expecting delivery of 44 million total doses over the next six months of this year. Now that'd be pretty awesome if you know if um that Pfizer vaccine was just a one-shot and you're done that'd be just be fantastic because canada would be fully vaccinated in six months but unfortunately it's not you know it's a double dose you have to have that booster shot but at least we can get all these needles in these arms by the hopefully in the next six months so it gives us the rest of april may june july august september Five and a half months if in fact we don't have any more hiccups or delays in these deliveries of, of the of the Pfizer and all these other doses of, of um, Moderna as well because we're not getting enough of Moderna. And that's lagging also in our vaccination campaign. Now they say, based on those figures, most provinces and territories, um, although they're much further ahead, have said every adult will be immunized with at least one shot by the end of June. There's a lot of uncertainty about these promises, however, The wait for a second dose could be longer, given that the National Advisory Committee on Immunization has said provinces can wait up to four months between doses. And like I said, we're the only country in the world that's doing that. There has been delays on the Moderna products, and they have been very disruptive. Now Moderna says it's facing a persistent quality assurance backlog on its production facilities. A roadblock that has resulted in days long delivery delays for doses designated for Canada. There aren't any production issues with the shots themselves but the process of double checking each batch and then getting them out the door has been slower than expected. Things happen. Ladies and gentlemen, every day is different. Every hour changes. 855,000 doses of the Moderna product that were supposed to arrive this week of April, five have only started to show up over the last several days. A disruption that up, Handed plan immunization clinics in some provinces this week. For example, some ten thousand appointments in Ontario were cancelled. Our case, our cases of COVID, forty three hundred cases reported today. That's down from 4,800 on on Saturday. And that's the direction we need to be headed. But that's 10,000 doses, 10,000 shots that we could be getting into the arms, which we are not. Now people are asking what is going on with that one shot of Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Injections of the vaccine came to a halt in the United States this week after the Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Disease Control jointly recommended a stoppage following reports of very rare blood clotting in six patients. Just like the other vaccine, the AstraZeneca The first deliveries of that project to Canada are expected at the end of April, but there's been no clarity about how many doses will arrive at that time. Let's have to wait and see. When will it be my turn, people are asking. The answer depends on where you live. The provinces are still working through older Canadians endangered people some healthcare workers and people that are particularly vulnerable to contracting COVID-19 or developing severe symptoms. The last group has been loosely defined by NASI and has been um, differently by the provinces. Among those 80 years of age or older, 84, 84% have received their first dose. While well, 69% of the people between the ages of 70 and 79 have at least had one shot. Now people, you know, this has been on the news in the news media is obviously, you know, there's been a lot of talk about millions of doses in freezers and people are asking, is that true? And they're saying, sort of, you know, after the federal government delivers a big batch of shots to the provinces and territories, hundreds of thousands of Pfizer shots arrive each week. And between the point when the shot is placed in inventory and when it's actually administered to a patient. much of the product delivered is deployed relatively quickly. Now people has asked about domestic manufacturing of vaccines. Could this help us out? It could if we had any. Canada as far as I'm concerned had, had ample opportunity over decades in order to make vaccines here. The National Research Council owned Royal Mount facilities expected eventually to churn out tens of millions of doses of vaccine development by Maryland-based Novavax. The first Canadian main Novavax vials won't be produced until the end of the year. However, that may be That's where we stand. This is where Canada has its blueprint or footprint in the dirt on where we stand on vaccines and immunization campaign. Now, ladies and gentlemen, find the little topic here because I put it in here. Now, from time and time again, and sometimes on a daily basis, we hear about our staff shortages, the emotional toll that this takes on our on our healthcare staff during the Ontario's third wave and through this entire pandemic. They are people too, they are human beings. They have feelings, they have emotions. And it's although sometimes that we just think that, you know, our healthcare staff is always going to be there for us and that nothing seems to bother them. They put on this brave face in order to help. That's just, you know, not reality. Our healthcare professionals, doctors and nurses, are as human as you and I are. Now from a nurse's perspective, she knows every patient being treated under her team's care in the Humber River Hospital Intensive Care Unit. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. This is what happens when you do a live show, any noise in the house, whether it's dog or people, it'll be out there. So this nurse with 16 years of experience, the ever-growing workload in the daily scenes unfolding before her eyes. More acutely ill COVID-19 patients and young people fighting for their lives weigh heavily on her. There is no escaping the reality when when she's at home with her family, when she tries not to burden them with her worries. This is the, the the story from this nurse, ladies and gentlemen. She says sometimes when she sleeps, it just, she just keeps thinking. She says during a short break after her team has intubated another COVID-19 patient struggling to breathe. Those things are going through my mind and I just want to shut it down, shut it off for a minute. Another worry that keeps her up at night is the ICU staffing crunch and her team's high level of turnover at the stage of the third wave of this pandemic. She says, the thing is, we are not only taking care of patients, she says, we have to take care of our staff. Everybody is burned out severely ill COVID-19 patients are being hospitalized on, on Ontario in higher numbers than ever as the province and healthcare sector scramble to increase capacity through transferring patients to other hospitals, canceling non-essential procedures and setting up field units. And as the cases of, as the cases of COVID-19 continue to soar, 4,250 new infections were reported on Sunday with 741 patients in, in intensive care. The provincial government has promised to add between 700 to 1,000 additional beds. That's fine, but we don't have the people that can care for the for the persons in the bed. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host Doug from London, Ontario, Canada um just a little recap for you you can uh, catch the entire episode uh when it's published um, when this episode is over on where canada stands on vaccine immunizations campaign compared to the rest of the world and this topic here the emotional toll on our health care staff during ontario's third wave and this is A nurse telling her story. With 741 patients in the intensive care. You know, our provincial government has promised to add between another 700 to another thousand beds. But she goes on to say that's fine to add a bed but not so much if you don't have the people that can care for the persons in the bed. Which, by the way, we do have a shortage of nursing staffs and highly trained nurses to work in the ICUs here across Ontario and across Canada. She says that there is already a a shortage of nurses in hospitals ICUs and adding more bids will only exacerbate the problem. The nurses, the nurses are going to be further stretched than they already are and that takes a physical and emotional toll on people when they are placed in these situations. Our doctors and our nurses, ladies and gentlemen, are not robots. They are human beings. They are on the front lines. They are in the ICUs. They are seeing what's happening right there in front of their faces, real life, real time. And what bothers me, ladies and gentlemen, and where people need to get a reality check is the people who just blatantly disregard the rules and the anti-ralliers, the anti-maskers out there. Somehow they get this in their little pea brain that this is against their human rights when in fact it's not. These measures placed in by the government is legal. And this is a problem because people don't take the time to look up the Charter of Rights. Well, my friends, I have. I don't sit here and just make up BS. I actually fact check stuff before I say something. When there is the state of emergency and when that act is in place, And in the Charters of Rights, when there is an imminent threat to human life and including a virus, the government can impose these restrictions upon you. It is their responsibility to protect the citizens of their country, their province, wherever you may be. And it is our responsibility as citizens to act accordingly and follow the rules. And when you hear these stories from these nurses, ladies and gentlemen, it's gut-wrenching. It really is. I can't even, even get on the same level of saying that oh i understand how they feel and stuff like that you know what because i don't because i'm not there they are and this is the position that they're in she speaks with she speaks to compare the situation to a battlefield They are used to having patients, they are used to having patients die, but the duration of the crisis and their inability to connect with friends and family due to the infection risk has pushed nurses to the brink. She says she's worried about the staffing. The hospital has redeployed nurses from other units as well as nursing students to support the ICU staff, but those with critical care certifications are in short supply. These are specialized nurses who work in the critical care, who have that specific certificate. The the pandemic has been long and hard on the entire ICU team and we're having nurses who are feeling that they need some time off. It's been difficult to try to get vacation And they're, and they are overworked. Increase, increase taking sick time or staff requesting a day away. If it can be accommodated, they're encouraged to switch shifts. The team also takes time to shift to decompress and discuss difficult situations they're witnessing. Like the recent deaths of two COVID-19 variant patients from the same family on the same day. And doctors are feeling the strains too. People get tired all the time and it has an impact on the family as well. You don't have much time to spend with them. She says, I'm really worried about our workforce today and what we're facing going into the workplace right now and how long they can keep up this pace. Ontario hitting record highs of almost 5,000 cases on a daily basis, filling up the hospitals and filling up the intensive care units. these are people that they generally wouldn't see during this pandemic and these are the people who are ages of of between the ages of 19 and 29. People don't stop to think. Their destructive behavior and the outright lousy attitudes of some people out there. One one, uh, individual um, really struck a nerve with me. I was reading an article the other day and it was this rally in, in Strathroy, Ontario. And this woman says it's worth the risk being out here to rally against these measures that the government has imposed on us and she doesn't believe how deadly this virus is, how how much the government makes out how deadly this virus is and she really needs to give her head a shake. Those kind of things strike a nerve with me. And I'm sick and tired of all the rhetoric BS from individuals, not just here in my own country, not here just in my home province of Ontario, but all over the world. Even in harder hit places around the world and especially, you know, what the United States of America with over 566,000 people who have died Over 30 million people infected throughout the United States. Michigan is having a big problem with COVID-19 right now. Other states are. Yeah, you've been able to administer a lot of doses. But it still isn't enough to curve this virus. To flatten the curve of this virus is still not enough. And as Canada keeps lagging behind and hopefully we get to pick up steam, where we all thought that 2021 was gonna be the better year, when in fact it's turned out 2021, has been the worst of this pandemic. The other thing that people might not understand, um, you know, about their behaviors of what they do, you know, outside of the of the of the workplace. Now, if I can bring this uh, article up here, find it right here. Now, this is from a lawyer. And the risky pandemic behavior off the clock could mean workplace discipline. Now, up in Milton, Ontario, um, where they're building some nice homes. and uh, certain workers from a certain company decided that they were going to hold a party at the work site. So they did. And of course, people, videotaping everything that they're doing, drinking, not wearing a mask, not social distancing, got the music blaring, dancing around the construction site. And when the company they work for gets wind of this and they they see the videos of this, they fired those employees. Now this employment lawyer says flouting COVID-19 public health uh, rules when off the job or coming into work while knowingly sick could warrant discipline in the workplace, including termination in the most flagrant cases, such as these workers in Milton, they got fired. There is a shared obligation, obligation between employers and employees to to maintain a safe workplace. Every workplace has safety protocols, every every workplace has a policy. And you live by those policies when you work for a company because you're not just a worker for that company. Right? You, you are the company, you are the representative of that company you work for. Whether you're at work or you're done home, sitting down watching a hockey game or you're out there grocery shopping, whatever you're doing in public, you're a representative of the company that you work for. In addition to the obvious risk to others' health, employers are also keenly aware of how workplace how workplaces spread the virus could affect their reputation. Especially when it is setting that, you know, relies on on, on the public confidence, for an example, food processing. There is an ample precedent for off work behavior costing workers their jobs. Including a utility employee being fired for lewdly heckling a reporter in 2015. but she suggested that cases of brazen disregard of public health guidance, such as jetting off to Florida for spring breaks and not quarantining are in the minority. It's much more likely that someone feeling a bit unwell goes into work because he or she doesn't want to risk losing a paycheck. Calls have been growing across the country for governments to bring in mandatory sick pay so that the workers aren't put in that predicament. And we've been calling for this and we're still not getting it here in Ontario and our Ontario government is not getting it. And by large, everybody is following the rules and trying to do the best that they can and we are still building up a, a, a plane while we're flying. Now risky behavior outside work can be tough to prove. The only way you would know if there's just blatant about it and they're putting it on the social media and that's what some of them are doing they did they did this out in British Columbia, out in the ski hills, workers uh, of this uh, uh, resort decided that they're gonna have a big party. Loud music, no social distancing, not wearing a mask, drinking, kissing, licking each other's faces. This was all on video, ladies and gentlemen. And the people who, who they worked for fired them for that risky, blatantly disregarding the rules. And they put it on social media. And a punishment should be proportional. For instance, if someone works in close contact with a, a vulnerable individuals and is reckless in avoiding the virus in his, Or her space time termination could be appropriate because the stakes are so high. And This is what people don't get, ladies and gentlemen, you think when you leave work. That what you do out there. You don't think it may or not affect your employment. But in fact, it will. Now, generally, you know, uh, d- depending on the on uh, on the severity of the behavior, a written warning would probably be the first step in response. So at least you draw that um, that employee's attention. It makes the employee acutely aware that their actions are reckless and that they have been uh, the potential to endanger their co-workers. And it's also helpful for employers to have workplace policies to enforce to public health gui- uh, guidelines. And in fact, they do have these in places in the workplace. These guidelines are there. And importantly, of course, they must effectively communicate the policy to their employees, specifically letting them know what the expectations are and what the potential consequences are for a breach of the policy. And it's right there in the policy and it's available to all employees. It has to be posted in the employee's um, lunchroom, break room, whatever you want to call it it's there and it's up to the employee not just to glance at it and just oh that's a nice that's a nice looking cover on that well that's really nice no read it because you can't come back and say well i saw the policy there but you know i didn't you know peruse through it i just thought it looked nice on the wall or it looked nice on the desk look like a nice place to put my coffee cup Now an employer may look at the incident for an example has as a educational tool so, they're going to give you a little bit of education when they call you into the office and show you the video that you're in and the blatantly disregards of the of the health measures that have been put in place and give you that written warning and then physically hand you the policy that was on the employees wall in the employees rooms for you to take it and read it on your break. Now, those measures include a daily questionnaire, mandatory reporting of symptoms, remote work for non-essential personnel, physical distancing, hand washing, masking, and suspension um, of employee travel. Of course we have that you know here and of course even you know the CEOs went against their own policies and then they find themselves on the chopping block and then they find themselves fighting it in court You made the rules, you made the policy. You're the CEO, but you're no different than anybody else. So you think you can just jet off to Florida, tell your employees to follow the policy. And then when your ass is grass, you're going to launch a lawsuit. That's absurd. And believe me, this has happened, ladies and gentlemen, with CEOs of corporations, big companies, hospitals, some government employees. We actually had a, I think it was our our health minister, at Christmas time, He had a video showing himself sitting in front of a fireplace, thanking all Canadians and all Ontarians for doing your part in staying home and not gathering for the holidays. When in fact, he was in Florida and that video was a recording. Needless to say, when that, that hit the news, he was no longer, actually he was the, the finance minister, not the health minister, he was the finance minister. But regardless of who he was, at the end of the day, he was fired. So you think about your actions, You think about what you're going to do the day you get out of bed. Go to work, come home, and think about what you're going to do. Think about your actions. Of where this could land you. Now, it could just be a disciplinary action. Or it could put you in the unemployment line. It's your choice. I say from time and time again, it's so important, you know, to act responsibly, behave responsibly, behave like adults are supposed to be behaving. Two things Ladies and gentlemen, that's gonna get us out of this. And that's our behavior in the vaccines. That's it. That's all we got. And even though other places around the world, world are faring better than other countries getting the vaccines, I mean, I mean yes I get it I mean just think about the logistics of this to get these vaccines around worldwide and get these vaccines into the arms of of all of us it's on an epic scale ladies and gentlemen Time is the essence, patience is the essence and I get it, patience are running thin, we're tired, we're stressed, our mental health for some or a lot is not the greatest, financially, It's all taking its toll. And we hear it from time and time again, our government is saying, please be patient. You know, we're gonna get this, get through this together. There's light at the end of the tunnel. So it's up to you and it's up to me It is up to all of us. You think about the nurses and the story that I just told you, and you can hear this whole episode um, when I'm done here and I publish it, it only takes moments. It's up there and it goes around the world and you can find it wherever you find it. Uh, your podcast, you can find the Trucker's Podcast. It'll be up and it'll be available. So thank you for coming out here and joining me here on the Trucker's Podcast. I will be back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., And it's the morning, it's the morning coffee show with you. If you can join me then, that's great. If not, I understand. And you can always have that opportunity to uh, listen to um, the episodes or shows um, at your leisure time. You know, whenever you get that leisure time. So I appreciate you coming out here and joining me and taking the time out of your day. This is the Truckers Podcast. I'm your host Doug from London, Ontario, Canada. Be safe, take care, and thank you.